The Zone is presented by Guaranteed Foods, delivering all natural food to Midwestern families since 1958. Enjoy healthier food, more free time, free delivery, and better value. Go to GuaranteedFoods.com. All right, we continue right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. A very newsy day around the area. If you are uh, just tuning in, what's your problem, first of all? Also, MVS released by the Chiefs. Legereus Need franchise tagged by the Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs released renderings and their plans for a renovated Arrowhead Stadium, which will be on the April ballot, along with the Royals trying to build a new stadium downtown. Lance Leipold has received a contract extension, upwards of $7 million per year. The NFLPA has put out their uh, second year of surveys in which Clark Hunt got an F-. Chiefs ranked 31 out of 32 in the overall survey. Got a lot of D-minuses and uh, D-pluses and a couple of Fs. And again, one F- for Clark Hunt. Uh, They got one A. It was an A-plus, and it was um, coaching in Andy Reid. And uh, they were number one out of 32 teams. Uh, they ranked in the uh, bottom half of every other category in the NFL. Um, other than that, just a general Wednesday that uh, typically comes and goes throughout the offseason. You know, what are we going to talk about? You know what? Let's get into what we remember about MVS. Now let's talk with uh, Trevor Sikkim, a pro football focus lead draft analyst. Oh, by the way, the Combine's going on, and Brett Veach and Andy Reid talked yesterday at the Combine. Lead draft analyst Trevor Sikkim is our guest and also co-host of the NFL Stock Exchange podcast with Connor Rogers and also Brad Spielberger, some other guest hosts that are on there as well. Trevor, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic, my friend. Appreciate you having me on, as always. Well, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, how's the combine for you? And, uh, boy, that cocktail sauce at St. Elmo's, right? That's a great conversation. <laughs> so I actually have not had it yet good for you. this trip. I've had it before. I've had it before plenty of times. It's a rite of passage. We'll get it at some point. I think, actually, uh, tonight it might be uh, it might be calling my name pretty strong. But, uh, no, the combine is great. This is my favorite event of the football calendar because it's just – it's such a great time, too. I know you guys were joking right before you brought me on, but this is around the time when a lot of major news breaks, mm-hmm. right? We're figuring out what teams are about to do. We're setting up free agency really well. And then at the same time, you're also advancing what you know about these prospects coming up in the draft. You're getting a lot of measurements, a lot of combine testing data, these team interviews. You know, when you're you know, going out talking to different, like, team scouts or things like that, you know, they'll, you'll get a little hints of, of what teams might be into, things like that. So this is, without a doubt, my favorite trip that I take because – there's just so much that happens in the draft and even outside of the draft. What do you find teams get from uh, being there in Indianapolis? I know Andy Reid talked yesterday uh, and said that, you know, just being around the, the prospects for the first time. And he said, you know, the workouts, we can watch those on TV. We've got the, uh, you know, the video and stuff like that. What, what do teams, you know, get out of uh, the combine being there? Yeah, I mean, it is exactly what you said there it, it, it it's these interviews it's it, it's getting in front of these prospects you know sometimes it's in the form of asking them strange questions and and other times it's just more straightforward just trying to find out what makes them tick and you know i think the most important questions that you want to answer are what kind of competitors are these players right because scouting is not just about what you are watching on film it's about what that person is going to become at the NFL level. When you watch these guys in college, you're not under the impression that they are finished products. And so you look at things like athletic ability and their total ceiling, their floor as a prospect. And often, yes, what we get to see on the field for these workouts goes into answering those questions. But sometimes the most important ones are 
is this dude going to be a relentless worker? Is this going to be somebody who is just as passionate about reaching their ceiling as is the general manager or the scouting staff who wants to bring them onto their football team? And so, you know, I think that those are – I mean, those are the aspects of the combine that are the most valuable to these organizations that are coming through. So to me, it is really all about those interviews and, and seeing how these uh, teams believe these these players are wired. I want to talk about a number of things at the combine and different players and then certainly the Chiefs. But uh, the future of the uh, combine, um, is, it, um, uh, is it at risk of, of just sort of uh, dissolving uh, and doing some of these things uh, by – you know, whether it's uh, Internet or just having uh, uh, different uh, meetings with the players um, where you can Skype or whatever it might be that you go and, and, and do. And uh, we've seen teams not show up. And, and now Marvin Harrison is like, I'm not going to go as well. Uh, is there always going to be some sort of an event like this or is it in danger of eventually sort of going away? I, I think there will always be a combine. I really do. I cannot imagine a world where – um, an event like this does not exist. Of all the things that I think change throughout the football calendar, you know, you talk about moving different all-star events and this all-star event, you know, coming and going, you know, being in one place, being in a different place, whatever. But I, I think the combine, whether it's going to stay in Indianapolis or not, I think that the location of it might change. But the fact that it exists, I, I cannot see a world where we get to that point. It's because of how paramount it is. I was just having a conversation with somebody as I was walking downstairs back to the radio row, and we were talking about how advantageous it is to meet these players, you know, shake their hands, and even at all-star events, like, see them field level. There's just a different perspective that you get when you get to be in the same room with somebody, ask them questions, look them in the eye, and really just kind of get to know exactly who they are as a person. And Sure, you can do those things on Skype or over Zoom, but as basically every business in the world is figuring out, as we've kind of come out of the COVID pandemic, you see a lot of these 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 businesses are like, hey, you know, it's time to come back to work. And I think there's a lot of reasons that go into that, but the personable element of that it, it is so huge and so strong. And I think that that is just multiplied to a million levels when you're talking about the investments of high draft picks to multi-billion dollar operations like we see in the NFL. So to me, even though we are in an age where you can connect with somebody via FaceTime or Zoom or text at the drop of a hat instantly with a lot of convenience, nothing beats talking to these players in person. And though Mm -hmm. some players at the very top, you mentioned the Marvin Harrison, maybe you see a little bit more of that. I, I don't know. Maybe it is just kind of a, He's doing this on his own, and it won't be replicated. But even if there are a couple of players who continue to do this every year, for the hundreds of others that are at this event, being here and getting to know these teams in person is paramount, if you ask me. Trevor Sikkim is our guest. You tweeted about an athlete, that uh, a local product, that went to uh, the University of Missouri, and uh, Darius Robinson, who was really good this last year, and as the season went along, uh, started moving up draft boards and prospect rankings and things like that. Then he goes to the Senior Bowl and was just really good there, um, and now is viewed as you know potentially a first round draft pick, maybe even not even potentially anymore. Uh, but you 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 tweeted about him earlier today, um, in in him talking and, and at the podium. What do you see from uh, a Darius Robinson, um, and and what his role may be in the NFL, and does he make it to day two? of the draft this year well he's the guy honestly as i was answering your earlier question he's the guy that i have in mind of somebody Hmm. that you're trying to figure out what these guys are and what makes them tick and how much honestly they love football because there's a big difference between guys who are playing this game because they're good at it 
and guys who are playing the game because they love it. And Darius Robinson, I think, is a case of both. He's good at the game of football, but he, he also plays it because he loves it. Multiple times throughout his podium interview session, he kept saying, I will play literally any position, like on the defensive line. I'll play nose tackle. I'll play three technique. I'll play four eye, three, four defensive end. I'll play five technique defensive end. I'll play wide nine as a stand-up rusher. He's like, as long as you give me a chance to put my cleats in the ground, I'm going to give you everything that I have, and I believe I can be one of the most versatile defensive linemen in the NFL. And it's just you, you can tell how genuine a person is when you get to be around them for even just that short period of time. And I just – that's that's the word that I would use to describe Darius Robinson is that he is just so genuine. His love for the game is so genuine. And I feel as though teams are going to gravitate towards that because as much as the NFL draft is a game of risk, right, it's a game of chance, even the most talented players in the world sometimes will bust or will not work out. The ones that don't, the ones that don't disappoint, are the ones that you can identify that love the game and want to get better no matter what position they are playing in, no matter what coaching staff that they go to. And I think Darius Robinson showed that he uh, that he fits that mold. And so for me, I, I got to believe that he is a round one type of a player now. I just don't think that the NFL is going to see his versatility. And uh, if he comes off the same way that he did at the podium within those team meetings, somebody's going to fall in love with him, especially the back end of the first round. So I think it's much, much more likely that he is going to be a first-round pick than not. Well, and and I used to find it laughable when teams would uh, downgrade a player because he had other interests besides the football uh, team and the football career and uh, the game of football. It was like, you know, a a player can't enjoy doing something else. I remember, you know, Chris Conley out of Georgia, you know, enjoyed making movies and doing different things. It was like, yeah, but, I mean, he likes doing other stuff from football. Do we really want to bring this guy in? And I used to find it laughable, but not to use the, the this guy as an example over and over again, but, you know, Anthony Rendon got paid a lot of money, and then he's been injured a lot. He's been on the IL a lot in baseball after getting that big contract. And, you know, asked if it was a priority, and he's like, well, it's it's my job. It's a priority. But do you want to be here? Well, I, I think I've answered the question by it's a priority. Well, some people play the game because, you know, you can make a lot of money playing the game. But is it a priority? Is it what you live for? Because those are the players that teams are looking for, because those are the guys that are going to be there early, staying late. Those are the guys that are going to take themselves from a third or fourth or fifth round draft pick to being, you know, an all pro or a pro bowl or a difference maker on a uh, on a field. And another example I've I've uh, used, Trevor, uh, is, you know, when I first started uh, interning here and going out and and, uh, covering practices and things like that. Uh, I watched uh, Tony Gonzalez after practice, just catching football after football after football after football. And me being, you know, naive in, in college and going, why is he doing that? He's he's best in the game. And then it's like, oh, that's why he's the best in the game, because he's doing that while everybody else is leaving the field and going inside. I mean, you're totally right. And that it, 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 it's that kind of work ethic where and again, like, uh, uh, you know, it's not like everybody has to do things exactly a certain way to show that they are dedicated to the game. But it's those types of players that, hey, after a two and a half hour long practice, you can't you can't leave the field. Like you don't want to leave the field. Like you just you love being out there. You love the game. You love getting better. All that kinds of stuff. I agree with you 100. percent That's what makes the greatest. Is it, when you get to the NFL level, everybody's talented. It's the ones who truly have that desire, that toughness, everything to take that talent to the next level and really maximize it. That's 
the guys that last in this league. Trevor Sikkim is our guest. How much is uh, when when uh, teams are drafting a player? I, I've looked at the Chiefs draft, and they've done so well over the last couple of years. Part of that, I believe, the Chiefs look for traits. They scout traits. They scout different things that they like in a player, and then they bring them in, and they coach them up. And they've got really good assistant coaches, and Dave Merritt is fantastic. And we're seeing some of these, you know, cornerbacks, these secondary players for the Chiefs go from fourth-rounders to, you know, getting franchise tag today and Legereus Need. Charvarius Ward was, uh, you know, cut-down day trade and got a nice contract from the 49ers. And so on and so on. And McDuffie is just, you know, really, really good. How much when you look at players that are drafted in the middle rounds that become really good players, how much is that they were overlooked, there was something there that people didn't see, and how much is it they fell into a good situation to where the coaches got certain things out of them and put them in positions to win and sort of understood how they made a difference on the field? I I always look at the Chiefs and I'm like, I think the Chiefs are going to have a good draft because they continually have these really good coaches and they bring the guys in, and then Dave Merritt and, and Steve Spagnolo and um, you know different coaches along the way just uh, sort of coach those guys up and coach the traits, and they become really good players. Yeah, I, I think that it's, it, 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 it can be any of the things that you mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. I think that it, it's not always the same situation for every player, but the best coaches are the ones that can identify certain players. And when you're talking about you know third, fourth, fifth rounders, you're talking about guys who might be a little bit more streamlined, right? Might not have necessarily overwhelming talent to be able to play in all different sorts of schemes and circumstances. Sometimes it's more streamlined stuff. And I think the best coaching staffs in the NFL are the ones that are able to identify some of those mid-round players, again, third, fourth, fifth round, and say, okay, we're going to put you in a position to succeed, right? We're going to identify what your strengths are Maybe your weaknesses are why you weren't a second or a first-round pick, but you still got strengths. You're still getting picked in the middle of an NFL draft. And so I think that the best coaching staffs are often the ones that can recognize where the strengths of players are, be able to put them guys, those guys in those positions to gain confidence very early on in their NFL career. And then that confidence often can breed – you know, a great work ethic, work ethic, a desire to be even better, a desire to you know, improve on the areas that might have been weaknesses early on in their NFL career. Now they are turning those into uh, strengths or even just, you know, like uh, startable level things, increasing the floor of who you are as a player. And so to me, it just coaching is so, so, so important because we think it's an understood that coaches are just going to put these players in the best situations always. And it's just not always the case. You know, Kansas City, like you mentioned, has a great coaching staff, so they do it a lot. But outside of Kansas City and a couple other teams in the NFL, like there are some teams around this league who just do not put players in the right positions, whether it's stubbornness from the coaching staff, the head coaches, the, the offensive coordinators, stubbornness maybe from the general managers who drafted them, the owners who might have a hand in things. Like There are many, many times in which stubbornness can get in the way of allowing even third, fourth, fifth-round picks to improve and get better and really be good contributing players. But the best organizations are the ones that don't have that ego in the way and that continue to identify talent in those rounds, put them in good positions to succeed, and then invest in what they do really well. Visiting with Trevor Sikkim, a pro football focus, lead draft analyst, NFL Stock Exchange podcast as well. You've got, uh, in, in your mock draft, you've got the Chiefs taking Keon Coleman at pick number 32. Is that the position you'll be uh, focusing on with the Chiefs as wide receiver? How does that change throughout the draft process? Is it just, you know, guys you're hearing the Chiefs are talking to, uh, et cetera? Um, where do you think the Chiefs end up going there in the first round? 
Yeah, I think wide receiver is a, a big one for them. You know, I think free agency is the biggest needle mover, you know, to answer the second part of your question. Mm-hmm. You know, once we get through free agency and, yeah, I know MBS gets released, so I think that certainly goes into it. But we thought that that might have been something that could that could have been the case. You know, they've got some younger guys on that team at receiver, but nobody who's really been able to step up and truly just become that number two receiving option at a reliable level beyond Travis Kelsey. And for Kelsey, it's like, okay, you know, his his brother retires, or uh, I actually don't know if Jason like officially retired yet, yet, but we yeah. think that he's done. We, <laughs> we think, think. He is, right, right, right. So we assume that he is, is going to be retired and. You know, I think that Travis is certainly going to stick around for another year because they want the three-peat, right? He wants to be as fully involved in that as he can be. But, you know, is this maybe his last year in Kansas City? Is he going to retire after that? When I look at the rest of uh, the receiving group in Kansas City, uh, not only do they need somebody with Kelsey this upcoming year to defend the title, like they need somebody to invest in who could be the one when Travis Mm -hmm. Kelsey ends up yeah. hanging it up. So I, that's why I continue to go back to wide receiver because they've got some good tight end options, but I think that they really need that wide receiver position figured out. And and I think that it's, it's sometimes tough to get a good one at the back end of the first round, but whether it's Keon Coleman, whether it's A.D. Mitchell, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, maybe even a smaller guy like a, like a Roman Wilson, um, a Jalen Polk, uh, J- a Jermaine Burton is somebody who I also like a lot in this class. Like, there are a handful of really nice receivers who I think could be that wide receiver two plus pass catching option number two going into next year who could blossom into their top pass catching weapon uh, in the years to come. Do you think that's the route they may go? Trevor Sikkim is our guest. Do you think that's the route they may go where, you know, I've seen people talk about Mike Evans to the Chiefs, and I just don't think the Chiefs are going to spend that much money on a uh, on a, a, a wide receiver, especially a wide receiver in his 30s. Um, is is that the tier of, of wide receiver market, whether it's the draft or free agency, that, you know, they're not going to spend a lot of uh, capital to move up and take, uh, you know, a top 20 wide receiver, whereas last year it looked like they were potentially trying to do that. Um, I don't think they're going to spend, you know, $50 million over two years on on Mike Evans and whatever the asking price might be for him. Is it the second tier of wide receivers in the draft and second tier of wide receivers in the uh, free agency market that you think the uh, the Chiefs are are sort of shopping in? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's for a team like the Chiefs, I feel like it would be easier for them to convince themselves to maybe package some draft capital to move up from the back end of the first round up into maybe something around like pick 20 to go get whoever – wide receiver four or five might be in this class. Like I think of a Brian Thomas Jr. from LSU would be perfect for them. Uh, I think of a Troy Franklin from Oregon, the same thing I could think could be really great for them. And so I, th- I, I, I got to believe that moving a couple of picks to be more all in, if you will, on this next, you know, phase of their run, this three-peat, I think is, is more viable than them being able to shell out a lot of cash to go to get a tier one veteran wide receiver. I also you know, as a as the uh, resident Tampa guy, I don't think that Mike Evans is going to get out of Tampa. I, I really don't yeah, because I, I, I feel as though he's not going to go to a bad football team that's going to be able to pay him a lot of money. That's just not really the kind of player that Mike Evans is. So, you know, people talk about, like, Carolina, like, oh, we you go to the Panthers and follow Canales. And it's like, okay, well, I don't really think that Carolina is going to be competing at a very high level. So I don't think that that's what Mike Evans really wants into his 30s at this point in his career. And then – whatever a contender would probably be willing to offer him price-wise, 
the Bucks would probably be willing to match. And yeah. I think that he would then at that point rather stay in Tampa. So like Kansas City, I've heard from Mike Evans. You know, Buffalo, I know I talked to a lot of people in, in Buffalo. They like the idea of Mike Evans as well. But I just, for both, like both of those teams, I think that what they would be able to offer him I think Tampa would probably be able to match, and any of the teams that would really be able to go above and beyond money-wise for Evans, I don't think he would have a reason to go to those teams. Basically, to me, the only team that makes like sense in a lot of ways is Houston. If Houston were to offer him a lot of money because he's from Texas, uh, he's from the Galveston area, loves that area, obviously yeah, played at Texas A&M, yeah. so perhaps that is the landing spot that actually gets him out of Tampa Bay, but I don't really see a one. I don't mm-hmm. see one outside of Tampa and, and Houston yeah. for his landing spot. No, there. I, I'm with you as well. I stopped talking about Mike Evans a, a few weeks ago. I'm like, it's, it, it was talked about throughout the season, and now you get into the postseason or the, the season's over. Right now, let's get into realistic things. <laughs> let's talk about things that are realistically uh, that could happen. Which is why, you know, Trevor, the, the name I've talked about for a few weeks now is is Darnell Mooney. Like, I think that's sort of the uh, the market. That's sort of the player. You know, had a great season two years ago when Matt Nagy's last year there, um, and uh, Matt Nagy wanted Darnell Mooney there in uh, in Chicago, uh, along with probably other scouts and everything else. But they've got that relationship that's uh, that's there. Though it, maybe not specifically him, although that's specifically a guy I would like to see the Chiefs go. But sort of that range of player in the wide receiver market, not the um, obviously the T Higgins with being franchised, or the Michael Pittman, or the uh, the Mike Evans, or or the Calvin Ridley. Yeah, and I and I like that option for them. You know, another receiver that I'm a really big fan of is you know Josh Reynolds from from yes. from Detroit. Like yes. that's somebody else who I think mm-hmm. is like a very solid wide receiver two, wide receiver three kind of an option that I think would be great in Kansas City. I think the same for Darnell Mooney. You're right. I mean, obviously he kind of burst on the scene and everybody loved um, Darnell when he first came on. Didn't have as hot of a year last year, certainly, but he is somebody who you can bring in and he's not going to break the bank for you. That you know he's got a lot of talent who could be hopefully pretty reliable for you. You know, I look at maybe if you're talking about a lower-tier guy who might be around the league, I wonder if Arizona would have, like, Rondell Moore up for trade, right? And I know Moore has been somebody who hasn't gotten the usage that he's wanted to over uh, the last couple of years, and it just did not feel like they targeted Rondell Moore very much in Arizona this past year. So I wonder if they would consider moving on from him because I still think that he is a really talented player, and I think that that role in the slot in Kansas City, he could still be a really good player. So that's another option that I think about outside of uh, outside of those kind of like top-tier guys. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'd throw him and a couple of those other guys in with a moody conversation too. Trevor Sikkim, a pro football focus, lead draft analyst, and uh, co-host of the NFL Stock Exchange podcast. Trevor, great stuff. Always appreciate the time you coming on the show with us. And uh, it's draft season, so I'll definitely look forward to catching up uh, down the line here before we get to uh, late April. Yeah, of course. Appreciate it, guys. Anytime. Absolutely. There's Trevor Sikkim. Great stuff from him. Love talking with him uh, and love the podcast as well. NFL Stock Exchange podcast. You can go and check that out. Uh, and he is uh, Pro Football Focus's lead draft analyst. Um, I would say, though, you know, as we're looking through some of those names that are out there and people have been talking about a lot of those names that are out there, um, I've mentioned a number of times and we will continue to mention a number of times over the next couple of weeks of uh, a Darnell Mooney type player. Um, he mentioned Josh Reynolds. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, I was m- more in favor of a Josh Reynolds. Um, I don't know that, uh, you know, if Josh Reynolds comes in, then he should probably uh, understand that he's probably like the fourth wide receiver on this team. Like uh, the different levels of like addressing the wide receiver position, as we talked about going into camp, there should be only 
one player that definitely has a job. <laughs> that is Rasheed Rice, and other guys can earn their job. I mean, Sky Moore, there's no reason to cut him. You know, if he goes into the season as the sixth wide receiver, okay, that's fine. He's not the number one or two wide receiver, which people thought this year. But if you go and draft somebody and bring in a free agent, and you've got Rasheed Rice already, there's three guys, and then you go the market of the second tier down from even the middle tier, and it's like, well, here, you can bring in Josh uh, Reynolds on a one-year, $3 million contract. Okay, you can be the fourth or fifth wide receiver on this team. Um, I wouldn't want them to bring in Josh Reynolds and go, boom, did it. <laughs> that wouldn't be great. I wouldn't feel good about that. I don't also don't think that that is going to be the case. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back, continue rolling more zone next. All right, we'll continue right here on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Jason Anderson with you, Josh Briscoe, Dylan Michaels. We had up until 2 o'clock. We'll talk with Mick Schaefer coming up at 1 o'clock, KSHB 41, sports director. All right, so again, we continue to recap all of the different things that uh, have taken place today. And that is uh, MVS was released. Legereus Need was tagged. Lance Leipold was extended and raised. The NFLPA. St. John as well. If you were listening this morning, he. Uh, carry on. Never mind. What happened? He was extended, St. John uh, uh, as well. Stephen St. John was? Yes, yes, on Chris Jones's uh, extension. So, a little deep cut there. <laughs> Let's see what you go. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, Lance Leipold extended, raised. Um, I don't know what he does. I'm not sure. Um, the NFLPA has released their survey for this year, so now two years' worth of surveys. And the Chiefs unveiled the renderings for a reno- renovated Arrowhead Stadium uh, that they would hope to move into by 2030, 2031, at the uh, at the latest, they would start the renovations to Arrowhead Stadium after the World Cup. It would cost eight hundred million dollars for the total project. The Chiefs will kick in three hundred million, leaving the taxpayers with five hundred million dollars to renovate Arrowhead Stadium, which would add three thousand new parking spaces which would add a fan activation area with a fully turfed field that I'm guessing kids can go and play on and things like that. Um, yeah, the ACLs and Achilles going left and right, right on that thing during that's tailgates. Uh, no doubt about that. Um, hopefully the sod father, Eddie Mangan, is not going to be a you part of that Eddie Mangan away from this. Eddie Mangan, you do not touch that stuff. Um, there will be covered entertainment space. Um between, it looks like, where Kaufman and, and uh, Arrowhead are right now. Um, they will the, the renovations to Arrowhead Stadium would include larger video boards, uh, more suites. Um, I believe we heard Mark Donovan say that the goal on this was 2030. Yeah, 2030. So this is all it. like post-World Cup and everything. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're looking pretty far down the line here, back to the Royals timeline yep. and all of that, of course. There are a few things with this that, you know... Um, the Royals also have to completely build... A new stadium, yeah. move in, play there, and knock this one down before the Chiefs can actually expand. So in a lot of ways, this is the second domino. So a few things to uh, to shuffle through here. I've heard people say, and it's a reasonable question, why is Arrowhead Stadium renovation, why is that viable? And Kauffman Stadium renovation is not. Why did the Royals come up with some sort of a study that said they have to move, they cannot renovate that. Well, according to the Chiefs, the Royals received a bad batch of concrete. 
that the Chiefs did not get. The Chiefs got Literally. a good batch of concrete. The Royals got the concrete cancer. Yeah. The Chiefs got the concrete that they are able to renovate and stay longer there with the foundation that was set at Arrowhead Stadium. So, uh, it luckily, the concrete was not split between the two. Yeah. I and guess. you just get a little cancer between Kaufman and Arrowhead. Yeah. That one stadium got all of it. So, that's good. And thank God it's the team that wanted to move downtown anyway. Thankfully, that's the case. Because can you imagine if uh, Kaufman was perfectly fine with no concrete cancer, and then the Chiefs having all the concrete cancer, what would they do? I mean, it's just impossible to know. No idea what would happen there. Uh, but uh, that's one part of it is to, well, why are the Chiefs renovating and the Royals moving? Bad batch of concrete. Yep. Every once in a while, you just get a bad batch of concrete, you know? It's just a bad batch of acid. <laughs> it's just all a it tough takes. trip. It's what happened. Um, that's one thing. Clarkon talked about uh, uh, not being willing to sign a 25-year lease extension without the financing approved by the taxpayers mm-hmm. of kicking in the $500 million. A lot of details still have to come out. We've talked about this with the Royals. A lot of details have to come out still. The Royals want to sign a 40-year lease. Clarkon's talking about signing a 25-year lease. Mm-hmm. So would they coincide? Are they separate from each other? In the 25-year lease, when that's up, what happens to the three-eighths cent sales tax? Does that then go all go to the Chiefs then? Uh, the next 15 years, how is that sort of dispersed? Do the, or the Royals, I should say, the next 15 years from 25 to 40, do the Chiefs get their 40 years worth of a three-eighths cent tax in 25 years? where they get more of it, and the Royals are extending it for the lease a little bit longer. The Royals are viewed as cheap, and they're putting in a billion dollars. And the Chiefs have won three Super Bowls in five years, and they're putting in $300 million to this renovation project. That's going to give them another 25 years at Arrowhead Stadium. There's a lot of things to discuss and break down with this. Also... The Royals are building a brand new stadium for a billion, and the Chiefs are renovating for eight hundred million. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much it would cost for. Well, I think we've seen the going rate for some of the new amenities and the new stadiums of being a couple three billion dollars to be able to, to to build that. Whereas the Royals are building a thirty thousand seat baseball stadium as opposed to a 70-80,000 seat football stadium. There's going to be different ways around it, and there's going to be a different price tag that goes along with that. But you do wonder, when you get up to the billion dollars, is it better in sound strategy just to simply build new if you're the Chiefs and have a retractable roof and have some of the amenities that are there with a new stadium and have a 40-year lease? in Kansas City, and not go through this another 25 years down the road, because then 25 years is their concrete cancer. Now it's not viable, and now what are you doing at Arrowhead Stadium? Are you tearing that down and building new? Are you building on the the, the fan zone that's closest to I-70 and then switching the fan zone over where Arrowhead Stadium is right now? What are you doing in 25 years if you're saying, don't worry, the concrete right now is viable to renovate? Right now. And what happens if you don't sign a lease for 25 more years if this financing isn't approved? 
Are you leaving? Are you going across state line? What are you looking at then? There are a lot of vague uh, things um, in, involved in this, and uh, April's right around the corner. It's a month away. That's it's a month away. That's the other thing where just I have I have lost some patience. I, I don't think I've lost it. I have spent my patience. Yeah. <laughs> we we have been talking about, and and you can look. I don't even honestly. I don't even really care who to blame at this point. I think you can point some fingers in plenty of different directions. But you have the Royals who originally had their deadline for all of this in, like, what, September? And they end up landing that in February. Um, you have now the Chiefs trying to follow Sukes, and now they know what the what Royal, the Royals' plan A is, which was actually plan C in terms of the locations they had previously been discussing. And, and you want to talk about Frank White and the, the way that Jackson County's handled it. And has this been done expeditiously on either side? No, it, it doesn't really seem like there, it has been. But now we're at a point here. Day and a half left in February, mm-hmm. and your mail-in ballots, I think, are now available if you're, like, serving overseas, I believe, is the sort of the little window we're in right now. And you just asked, like, 15 good questions that we don't have answers to. And, and, and the Royals have tried to answer some of those questions, and there's been talk of the community benefits agreement, what that all is going to mean, what's going to happen to the businesses in the crossroads. And we don't really know any of that. And frankly, we're not ever going to know any of that because eventually it's just going to happen to them. And unfortunately, it, it may benefit landlords. It's going to hurt businesses that end up getting relocated. You're talking about this now at Arrowhead. You've got a 25-year plan and almost a billion dollars of renovations that the Chiefs aren't even going to pay half of as it currently stands. And how stable is that going to be for the long haul? Again, when is it? When is the price tag going to be? Thanks for those $500 million 20 years ago. We're going to need $3 billion this time because we're going to build the state-of-the-art arrowhead thing in a post-Mahomes era. We're obviously way down the line. But those are all issues that those teams and those ownership groups need pretty damn good answers for. Because if if it's all privately owned, if it's all privately financed, they can keep that mystery to themselves. Honestly, I, I don't really care where Clark Hunt literally lives in 25 years. I don't care what he does to, to his homes. I, I don't really care what his kitchen looks like. But if it is going to be things where you are relying on taxpayers to fund these processes, you've got to have airtight plans. And, and I, we went live as this as this press conference started, so I've, we've heard some clips here yeah. and there and have read some summaries. I have not heard every single bit of this. So I, I reserve some right to be impressed by Mark Donovan, who typically comes out with some pretty good answers on stuff. I'm, I'm genu- generally pretty impressed by, by the way that, that he processes and, and shares that information. But there aren't enough answers yet. It's not a matter of what you're showing or what you're hiding. It's that they don't have all of these answers to this point. And it was slow, slow, slow. Rush, 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 rush. Yeah. That feels like it's been the arc of this whole thing. And it's very, very hard for me, living in Jackson County, to feel like I'm in a good position as a voter to even make that decision reasonably. Which is, the, right now, my biggest hang-up is I, I don't even feel like we have all of the proper information. And certainly, they don't have as much time. There's you know, the, a new campaign going around that the Chiefs and Royals have both apparently donated to about keeping the Chiefs and, and Royals both in Jackson County. I don't know that they've got the time to get the messaging across that they want to get across because there's still a void there. And today, again, February 28th, we got renderings and a, and a picture of the Chiefs' plans, and they're the second domino in, in mm-hmm. this entire run. It's just it, – it's messy, and it's felt bungled at times, and it's frustrating because this should be something that is explicitly not rushed on anybody – 
and voters are going to have to make a decision with less than all the information. And that's frustrating to me. And you're going to have counter groups yeah. that are going to have their um, different uh, talking points yeah. to just simply say no to whatever the, the tax extension is going to be. You will have the different campaigns on both sides. You've got a month. It's April yep. 2nd. Yep. Friday is March 1st. I mean, you got four weeks where the Chiefs and the Royals are going to have a full-on blitz, turbo-speed campaign of say yes, 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 yes. We may leave. Clark Hunt's not going to sign a new lease if they don't get this approved. Where are the Chiefs going to go? Royals, who knows where? Nashville wants a team. Or could the Royals move to Nashville? While you'll have the counter-campaign of not good for Jackson County, let the billionaires pay for it. It's more gentrification downtown that you're moving businesses that have been there for a long time and, and relocating them. The Chiefs are winning all of these Super Bowls and getting all this extra income, and they're America's team now, and Taylor Swift has added to all the revenue, and the Chiefs are paying $300 million for all the renovations. That's it. $300 million coming out of uh, Clark Hunt's pockets for this. Okay, so if we're mad about the billionaires on the royal side and John Sherman not paying enough money, and they're investing a billion dollars now, a good portion of that is going to be to the, quote, ballpark district, where it's going to be investing in things that they will get then money back right. on um, to line their pockets. Understandable. How much will actually go into the ballpark part of it that they'll be investing in the building of the ballpark versus the building of the uh, ballpark district and how much of that whole ballpark uh, district goes into what the Royals are going to do now since it's right next to Power and Light, etc. A lot of other questions as well. Uh, that the Chiefs are, you know, throwing in $300 million for another 25 years, which would be really 30 years of uh, Arrowhead Stadium with all these new amenities. And talking about uh, getting all these new amenities from the city, and it's $10 million a year for the Chiefs to put in there? Man, like it's that's, really it's MVS's it contract. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's that's right. It's, it, they, they would be investing an MVS contract in cash every year for the next 30 years for all of these renovations. Where... Clark Hunt's made a whole lot more money in the NFL than John Sherman has. Yep. I mean, John Sherman took over right before the um, uh, the the uh, the COVID outbreak. He took over right before the pandemic, and then kept staff on and paid staff. And it was like, look at the Royals, what a great organization they are. How about that? And then they've spent money. They haven't made a whole lot of money in their time as owners, where the Hunts have, and they're making more money now. So if we're really talking also, about Clark Hunt never bought the team. John yeah. Sherman had to buy the team and mm-hmm. then not make all that money back yet, I'd imagine. Clark Hunt got the team. The, 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 the team was in the family. Yep. But there is one team that's been successful and one team that hasn't been. Oh, yeah, one, sure. In one terms one team of public that is perception winning stuff, Super Bowls sure. and another team that is not. And for people that say, well, the Royals should just stay at Kauffman Stadium, well, the, the Chiefs are. Chiefs are staying at Arrowhead. They're renovating. They're not trying to move. They know how much you love going out to Arrowhead Stadium and how much you love tailgating and the history that's there and the memories. And you go into that stadium and you remember when you were a kid or um, with your dad or granddad or whatever it might be. And you're creating new memories with your family as opposed to you walk into the uh, new Royal Stadium downtown and it's going to be, well, I don't know, I'm 
creating new memories now, but I don't walk in here and remember the time that I was here with my family when I was a kid and, you know, my friends going out to GA in right field and just uh, waiting in line and buying the tickets and then running down to try to get the closest seat you can. Like, oh, I remember all of that. I remember when there weren't any seats in the outfield and all that stuff. Like, you, you don't have those memories go back to you, but also, like, what's that worth? You'll always have those memories. It's just now you're at a different stadium. So the Chiefs are also playing into the, why are you trying to move? Why, why, are you, why don't you just renovate there? Okay, so they're a more successful team. Um, it's going to be less money, and they're staying at that current situation where the Royals haven't been successful. It's a lot more money, and they're moving downtown, right. which, how are we? Chiefs are adding 3,000 parking spaces. How about that? How much easier is it going to be to park at Arrowhead Stadium now? Fantastic. Where is Finally. the Royals? Yeah. But they're connected, though. I don't think, like, with the, uh, the, the most recent renovations back in, what, 06, 07, whenever that was, you had choices. You had choice to renovate both. You had a choice, number two, to add a rolling roof. Or you had choice number three, which was renovate, or choice number one, renovate with no rolling roof. Mm-hmm. Renovate with a rolling roof. No. Right. They chose what I thought was the worst of the options, which was renovate without the rolling roof. Either say no and the Royals move downtown or <laughs> renovate with the rolling roof so you can get other things. Regardless, um, that was that was the vote that ended up taking place. I don't know if the, will there be okay to the Chiefs, no to the Royals, okay to the Royals, no to the Chiefs, yes or no, just a simply yes or no, you, it's all or nothing. It's the 25-year lease for the Chiefs, 40-year lease for the Royals. Like These are all questions that I have no idea what the answer is going to be to some of these. I'm assuming it's all one or, or nothing, but how's that going like to be split up? Yeah. How's it going to be a 40-year lease for this tax plan to the Chiefs and a 25 or to the Royals and a 25-year plan to the uh, lease to the, uh, to, to, uh, to the Chiefs? The, the part of it that, that frustrates me right now is that you mentioned several of the very valid arguments for why the Royals should not get a downtown baseball stadium and why billionaires shouldn't get extra money from taxpayers to invest in things that ultimately are their stadiums. I also think that having downtown baseball would be a blast, and I've seen the, the Royals' uh, uh, artist renderings and been excited about the idea of seeing baseball downtown. I, I think there are, and frankly, I think it's a little bit disingenuous to pretend that what I'm about to say is not true. I think there are very, very reasonable arguments on both sides of most elements of this in terms of here is the harm, here is the good, here is the exciting, here is the lame, here is the frustrating, here's the economically viable and the things that do benefit cities, and here's the tax you're willing to pay. There's all of all of those arguments I really do think have at least intellectually honest cases you can make. But then there's the third group, which is where I find myself now of I don't feel like you have presented all of the necessary information to make an informed decision on this, and we got to vote in April. That, to me, has me very um, disenfranchised, if you will, mm-hmm. with with the scope of all of this. And I don't I don't think that they can solve that that part of it in a month. So I think we're gonna get there, and it's gonna be pretty binary. Yes, no. Do you want? Hey, guys, do you do you want to keep the teams here or not? I think it's going to be yeah. how it ends up getting presented. Well, that's, and that's, they, that's a total false choice. Absolutely, and that and that's how they presented it back in in the two thousand aughts of the Chiefs and Royals are going to move. If It, it was a fear campaign. Right. It was fear-mongering. Right. The Chiefs right. and Royals are going to move if you do not vote yes on this. I don't believe either are going to move. I agree. It doesn't mean that they won't. Sure. It doesn't mean it's a guarantee 
that uh, the Royals are are here in Kansas City forever? Because there are probably other times where you where, where people thought, oh, we'll say no to this, and they're not going to go anywhere. We can figure out some other things that that might be better for the city, better for the community. And they ultimately decided, well, sorry, I'm 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 leaving. I'm I'm, I'm we're, we're going somewhere else. We're going to a different city. I don't think they're going anywhere. If they if if it's a no vote on April second, does that mean the Chiefs aren't going anywhere? Well, I don't think the Chiefs are moving cities, but they may move across state line. They may move over to Kansas. And if it means that, you know, I'm, you know, voting yes for a new stadium and, and the taxes, that's fine. Because it would be hypocritical of me to say there's a pro tax. I want to live in a pro city. Many different reasons. Obviously, it's my job, but it's also something that's uh, the part of the culture and part of uh, my self identity that you know what what i look at and it's like okay what what are things that you love in life my family my sports teams my city like those are things that i grew up in part of the culture and so i've called it the pro tax people think it's a bad investment to invest in subsidizing billionaires with tax breaks that's also the just simply the way that it happens in this country because if Amazon or Google want to move their home base here. <laughs> Guess how many tax breaks the city's going to give them to move Amazon or Google's home base here to Kansas City. There's going to be massive amounts of tax breaks and land that will be donated and given to say, wow, you're going to come here because of the different economical impacts it can create. We sort of gloss over those things or a new factory or, um, you know, car dealerships or, or, or things like that. We sort of just gloss over those things. But it's billionaires and their stadiums that get subsidized, and people aren't a big fan of that. And I totally understand if we look at the sort of the, the, the market economic studies. Economic impact. Yeah. yeah, the economic impact in the market studies is fine. I think it's a pro tax. Do you want to be a pro city or not? And sometimes it's the price of doing business. There are plenty of people that say, nope, don't care. Don't, Chiefs and Royals can go somewhere else. I'm not paying for that because I don't go, nor do I care about that. That's fine. My view is I pay my fair share. Make it a, a make it a, a, a you know by state. This is That's a fine. tangent, and Dylan, I'm sorry. Do you care if it's in Olathe, Overland Park, Prairie Village, Lee Summit, Lee? If they're the Kansas City whatevers, yeah, I don't. Do, I don't, do you care? No, no, I don't care that Sporting Kansas City is in Kansas or right, you know, right. So that like, I know that a lot of people me, on the Missouri side are very proud of saying Kansas City Chiefs are from Missouri. Yeah, which and I if totally understand. You that. are. That's that's fine too. That's why like the the, the Royals moving to North KCMO yeah. never made. I I want the best experience possible, but. If if we're talking about like oh well we'll leave Casey we'll leave Jackson County, mm-hmm. the economic impacts of these stadiums would say the best thing for you as a sports fan would be for your team to be one county over like that that makes more sense if you're gonna have the benefits of the surrounding pro teams actually having to foot the bill for it in that county like I don't I don't really care if the labeling is Kansas City Chiefs and Royals yeah and I will be paying less. For the, I understand that by not living in Jackson County, because I won't be shopping in Jackson County as much right. as people that live in Jackson County. Right. So if I'm going to the grocery store, it's not in Jackson County. Right. So I totally understand that. I'll spend some money. Sure. I'll, right. I will contribute in some way, shape, or form because we spend money right. in Jackson County. I spend money in all the different counties. It just won't be to the degree of those that are residents that all of their money that is spent and shopping and food and groceries and, and clothes and whatever it is is going to be there 
in Jackson County. And it makes the threat of them leaving the county mean so little to me that I yeah. it's totally fine. I'll, yeah. I'll I'll buy when I'm when I'm getting gas in, in Johnson County. That's all I'll, I'll go ahead and when I'm in North yeah. Kansas City, I'll I'll let those those sales tax numbers yep. can go there. No, it 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 can make a it can make a, a difference in in people's lives. Um I might going to stay in the area. Month, there's a month to figure out all these questions to know if it's a full-on yes vote. Yes. Like, if I were living there, would I vote yes? I won't have the option. If I were living there, would I vote yes? As it stands right now, I would say yes if I lived there. Because I wanted a downtown baseball stadium for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I've wanted the Chiefs to stay at Arrowhead forever. That's as it stands right now. There are a lot of particulars and details that have to come out in this to see if it is the right choice. Because if it fails on this go-around, does that mean the Royals and Chiefs throw up their hands and go, okay, nothing we're going to do now, we're all going to move. But if you're already a yes vote, it doesn't really matter. That's right. If you're a yes vote, they don't owe you any more information. That, to me, is Well, see, I'm a yes vote, and they don't owe me any... You're right. If it was voting today, you're right. The more information that comes out could change my mind. Right. But if you're a yes vote, it's like, oh, no, hey, if we got you, we're good. We'll talk to you. We'll give you more details later on. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand that. I get it. Uh, and that's probably what they're banking on a lot of. And that's that to me is frustrating because yeah. if we if we say we're giving you the, the information that we think will make you a yes vote and get enough yes votes that will move forward, then all of a sudden now they no longer mm-hmm. owe the people the full picture, yeah. and that is uncomfortable politics. But it's it's frustrating. The community benefits agreement is not made public. Some of the plans for the downtown businesses, no idea. And it's a month from now. A month. Like, it feels like a little bit of a, we're just going to slow play this and then go warp speed to then the voting. And by the way, if it's a no vote, next year at this time, we might be talking about the same thing. Do it all over again. Not moving in June. Run it back.